Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I don't know about you, but I was up late last night uh, watching weather and um, didn't get as much sleep as normal. But even though that's the case, I want to begin this morning by asking some questions. We're going to find out how sharp you are today, all right? So here are some questions. See if you can get the answer to these. Question number one, even if they are starving, natives living in the Arctic will never eat a penguin's egg. Why not? What's the answer to that one? Yeah, someone got it. Penguins live in the Antarctic, not in the Arctic, all right? Now, that one might have been a little bit tricky. Let's go a little simpler. How about this one? Second question. How many times can you subtract the number 5 from 25? What is the answer to that? Uh, Some people said it. It's once. Because after that, you're subtracting it from 20, and then from 15, and so forth, okay? All right, see if you can get this one. Third question. You're warmed up now, you're ready to go. There was an electrician and plumber waiting in line for admission to the home show at a fair. One of them was the father of the other's son. How could this be possible? What is the answer to that question? The electrician and the plumber are husband and wife. Therefore, one of them was the father of the other's son. All right, I got one more question for you. What is the greatest offer ever made? What is the greatest offer ever made? Now, it's not a trick question, but it maybe is the most strategic question that we could ask. And the answer to that question is God's amazing offer of salvation, an offer that is given to those who had violated God's standards of righteousness. It's an offer given to those who he deemed to be sinful and rebellious who were nothing more than helpless people and without hope. And yet, God's amazing offer comes to them of salvation. We've been involved in a study of the book of Titus that we have entitled, Designer's Fashion, Adorning the Doctrine of God in Every Respect. And the title of our message today is God's Amazing Offer. Now, God's Amazing Offer is an offer that many of us have received and accepted by faith. And as we have accepted that and received it by faith, we've been just amazed all the more and humbled all the more by the offer. And it's changed our perspective, and it affects the daily choices that we make in our life. And if that's true that you have already accepted God's amazing offer, this is going to be a joy for you to just review it again and to relish it and allow it to touch you freshly in your heart. But I know that it's likely that some who are here today have not really 
accepted and received his amazing offer. Maybe you didn't really understand it fully. Maybe you haven't fully grasped it. Maybe you've just been busy living your life, kind of handling your life on your own. Where your confidence has been, as long as I'm, you know, sufficiently good, somehow God will let me slide by with what I call good. And if that's your situation, I want you to know whether you just never understood the offer before or you've never really embraced this offer, my earnest desire for you is that in the next few moments together, the Spirit of God would open your eyes. Open your eyes to God's amazing offer. We're going to give you an opportunity, if you haven't yet accepted that offer, to accept that offer by faith even this morning. Now, if, you're, if you have your Bibles open to Titus 3, I want to read a few verses. In fact, verses 4 to 7 from that chapter, and I would invite you to follow along as I read. Notice it says in verse 4, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, as we read through those few verses, I want you to know that in the original language of the New Testament, that is all one sentence. And it's one sentence because Paul is so excited as he writes those words. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago in our study of the book of Titus, we were looking at verse 3, which lays out our dire dilemma. And we saw by looking at our dire dilemma that three things, or actually four things, were true of us. First, we were darkened in our understanding. The operative word is foolish. Secondly, we were disobedient to God's truth. The operative word there is transgressor. We had violated God's standards of righteousness. Third, we saw that we were deceived by misinformation, and the operative word there is the word deceived. You know, maybe we were running around and we, we viewed God as some sort of a, a passive grandfather who really didn't care what we got away with. Or maybe we were living our, our life for ourselves because that's what the culture teaches us we ought to do. Or maybe we believe that there was no judgment, there, there is no hell. All you have to do is just do the best you can and everything will work out okay. And then as part of our dire dilemma, number four, we were dominated by living for self. And the operative word there is the word sin. Sin at its simplest is living a life independent of God. Sin at its simplest is me, you, running our own life. And when you have sin, it breeds things. It breeds things like loneliness and an emptiness that we can't quite describe. It breeds things like relational conflict. 
it brings a lack of peace in our life. Well, that was our dire dilemma that we saw in verse 3. What we're going to be looking at this morning in verses 4 and following is God's marvelous provision for us. And if you mark in your Bibles, I want you to either underline or circle four words in verses 4 to 7. The first word is the word kindness in verse 4. The second word is the word love in verse 4. The third word is the word mercy in verse 5. Mercy means we don't receive what we deserve to receive. And then the fourth word in verse 7 is the word grace. And grace refers to God's generous, undeserved goodness to us. Now, I want you to look at those four words because those four words are the divine motivators behind God's marvelous provision. They are the divine motivators for God's amazing offer. It's why he offers what he offers. It's why he provides what he provides. And as we look at God's amazing offer today, we're going to see that he offers to everyone three things. Number one, he offers a new beginning. And everyone has had their time in their life when they wish they had a new beginning. Secondly, he offers a new legal status. We'll talk about that more, but that's very, very important. And then thirdly, as part of his amazing offer, he offers a new future. That's an offer that's open to all of us, to me and to you, a new beginning, a new legal status, and a new future. So let's begin as we delve into God's amazing offer by looking at the promise of a new beginning. Look at verse 4 again in Titus 3. But, it says, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. Remember our dilemma in the previous verse? We had, had messed up, we'd, we'd muffed up. In fact, we were on a crash course for judgment in hell. And that's true of every human being. Because we're born in sin, and as quickly as we can, we commit sin that we're on a crash course for judgment in hell. We, it's a wonderful to see a new baby. I've got a new granddaughter. And they're wonderful. It's a great gift from God. But when she was born, she was born in sin. And as soon as she's going to be able to, she's going to commit sin just like all of us have. And she's actually on a crash course for judgment in hell. But isn't it cool that it says, but, in verse 4. You see, God decided to intervene. God initiated. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he initiated with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It all began with him. That's why he came. He came to bleed and to die, to take our penalty, and then to rise again triumphant. He wants to bring to us a new beginning. And it says in verse 5 that when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. We could translate it, He rescued us. And in the original language, it's communicated in a way where there, there was a point in time when this happened. 
And that point in time when it happened was when he dealt with our sin and guilt on the cross. See, it wasn't that I earned it. It wasn't that we merited it. It wasn't that we deserved it. Notice it goes on to say in verse 5, it says, He saved us, He rescued us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. See, this offer of a new beginning had nothing to do with the deeds that we did. It was never part of the equation. You see, we were needy, but God provided. And He did it without my help and without my assistance. He saved us, there in verse 5, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve to receive. If you've been around Wildwood for a while, you know that I have basically said when it comes to this whole issue of salvation, that you could take all the religious systems of the world and even some aspects of Christianity and put them into one category, and biblical Christianity stands alone in another category. Because you see, all the religious systems of the world and even some parts of Christianity teach that salvation is spelled D-O. There's something that you have to do. And they may make different lists, and they all have lists of the things that we need to do. But for them, salvation is always spelled D-O. You've got to do something. And yet, biblical Christianity is unique because biblical Christianity spells salvation D-O-N-E. You see, it's not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. It's according to His mercy. It points back to the work of Christ. See, people are running around all around us, and they think, well, how can you be forgiven? How do you end up going to heaven? Well, you've got to go to church regularly, or you've got to be good, or you've got to keep the Ten Commandments, or you've got to take the sacraments on a regular basis. That's what every other religious system teaches, maybe with different details. Biblical Christianity says, no, it's done. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says this, God saved you by his special favor when you believed. Now, that's a key phrase, when you believe. We're going to give you an opportunity to believe. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things which we have done. Can it get any more plain than that? So that none of us can boast about it. It was according to his mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Now, mercy is a wonderful thing. But if you're living your life and your life is messed up, you say, mercy is good, but how am I really going to change? How can I live differently? Well, Well, part here of the offer of a new beginning is described in the rest of the verse. He rescued us, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. This is part of the new beginning he offers to us. And that phrase that we see there, rather long phrase, is connected in the original language with one preposition 
And it's all an activity of the Holy Spirit. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And I think there's three things involved here. One thing is that we end up being washed. That's something the Holy Spirit does for us. Remember, we were mired down. We, we felt dirty. We know we've done wrong things. We had sin and guilt. And what the Holy Spirit does when we accept this amazing offer, this new beginning, He comes along and gives us this inner spiritual cleansing that we experience. We're washed. Another aspect that happens as part of the new beginning is that we are reborn. Uh, The NIV translates part of this verse, the washing of rebirth. You know, Jesus said that you won't see the kingdom except you are born from above. Unless there's this spiritual, supernatural birth, you won't see the kingdom of God. And that's what this is talking about, this being reborn. And a lot of times what happens with people is they end up in despair because they've messed up their life. They've messed up their relationships. They've made major mistakes. They feel like there's really no hope. And yet God offers in his amazing offer, he offers us a new beginning. He offers us a fresh start. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, he says to the people, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. His, his, his offer of a new beginning, he says, I will give you a new perspective. I'll give you a new disposition. I'll give you a new ambition in your life. Part of the new beginning is that we're washed. Part of it is that we are reborn. And part of it, thirdly, is that we are renewed through the Holy Spirit. There are new resources available to live your life. In Ezekiel 36, 27, it says this. This is his promise. I will put my spirit within you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, he promises us a new beginning. Listen to the words of John Benton. He says this. You might be saying to yourself, Oh, it's impossible for me to change. But he says, throughout the whole Bible, God tells us that it is impossible situations which the Holy Spirit is best at dealing with. How can an old and barren couple of nearly 100 years old have a child? It's impossible. Yet by God's power, Abraham and Sarah had a son, Isaac. How can a man strike down 1,000 in battle against him? But Samson did by the Spirit of God upon him. How can a young teenager possibly overcome a seasoned warrior who stands over eight feet high? But David overthrew and killed the giant Goliath because the Spirit of God was upon him. He goes on to write this. He says, the great news of the gospel, listen to this, is that because of what Christ accomplished at Calvary, not only have our sins been forgiven, but the Spirit of God has been poured out and made available to all who believe. 
How can a narrow-hearted, bigoted, murderous, self-opinionated man like Saul of Tarsus ever be different? But by the Spirit of God, he was made different. He became the loving, warm-hearted preacher of truth, the Apostle Paul. He is the very author of this letter to Titus. And if God could renovate Saul by the power of his spirit, he can renovate anyone. It's God's amazing offer of a new beginning. Look at verse 6. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly, generously he gave to us the Spirit of God. And all this came through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It was all based on his work, everything that he did for us. You see, God's amazing offer includes, first of all, a new beginning. But second of all, it includes a new legal status. And we'll explain what that means. Look at verse 7. It says, so that being justified by his grace. Remember, grace is his generous, undeserved goodness to us. And that word justified is a Bible term. It's a term that means to legally declare something. And when it talks about us being justified, it means we were legally declared righteous. We became free from the condemnation that we had earned. And here's what's amazing. We end up being not only free from the condemnation that we had earned, we end up being credited with the riches of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, that's amazing. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 where it says this, God made him, the him is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. What that is saying is that all of my sins and all of this rebellion and all this transgression and all this failure that I had was taken and put on the person of Jesus Christ who had no sin. Now that's pretty awesome. But then it goes on to say, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What? All of my sins got put on Christ, and then his holiness and his righteousness is credited over into my account? That is amazing. God's amazing offer includes an offer of a new beginning it includes a new legal status, and it includes, this is really cool, a new future. A new future. In verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, the Bible teaches us, we learn this from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, that without Christ... We were by nature children of wrath. We were on our way to hell. We had no hope. But when we accept his amazing offer, guess what happens? We end up with a new family standing. We are now 
heirs of God. You know, we might all be able to come up with, I don't know how many different people we would love to be an heir of in this world, but I want to tell you something. There is no more valuable position to be in than to be an heir of God. New family standing as heirs. We, we, we have the ability to have eternal life. And you know, by the way, eternal life begins the moment someone accepts that offer. It begins right away. You begin to experience the promises of Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, here's my promise. I will be with you always. You know, every time in life, there's going to be these moments in which we Often in life, we'll have to go through the white water of life, you know, the ups and the downs, and the water's splashing in our face, and sometimes it's happened to us in the dark, and we don't understand what's going on, and, and yet part of eternal life is it begins now, and Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. I'll be with you through every up and every down. I will be there. If he is there, there really doesn't have to be any more loneliness in our life. There really doesn't have to be any despair. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that he's there, but his promise is, I will be there. It's part of eternal life. And eternal life doesn't just begin now. It goes on forever and forever. It's life after death. We have a new home. Jesus said, I am going to prepare the place for you to come. What an amazing offer, God's amazing offer, a new beginning, a new legal status, and a new future. Man, that's something. Now, some people are unaware that God has made an amazing offer, an offer of a new beginning, an offer of a new legal status, and an offer of a new future. Some people are unaware of that, and that's why Jesus said, you need to go tell people. You need to go tell people. That's part of what we're doing today. We're telling people about God's amazing offer. But there's something else about this I want you to notice. That the offer is only an offer until it is accepted. And I don't know where you may be coming from today. But maybe... The truth is that you have been running your own life, that you've been seeking to control your own life. You've been basically saying to God, I'm not interested in your offer. I want to try to do this on my own. I want to handle this on my own. I want to be the master of my own life. Well, if that's been your attitude, I want to ask you this question. How's that working for you? How's that working for you just in, in, internally, personally, in terms of do you have a real sense of why you were created? Do you know why you're here? How are your relationships going? The offer is only an offer until it is accepted. I want to show you a video clip. And in this video clip, there's a guy named Phil. And I just want you to know something about Phil. Phil is in the midst of living a life that is foolish. He is in the midst of living a life where really he has been deceived because he's been buying the messages of the world around him. Phil is a guy who has been living 
his life for himself. And he's involved in a conversation with Alexander. Watch this clip. Hey, Alexander. Hello. I didn't know you were here. Well, I heard John spilling his guts. I didn't think I should interrupt. And what is going on with him? He let go of the business. He let go of Julia. He let go of Ellen. He doesn't have anything left. And how do you get peace by letting go of everything? I thought you get peace by having everything. Well, it's easy enough to understand, but not so easy when you try and do it. And I think what matters is to recognize that it takes someone bigger than ourselves to help us find true peace. We weren't designed to do it alone. So how does John do it? He finally recognized that God was fully capable of handling anything we give him to handle, and that there is no true peace without that step. I thought God helps those who help themselves. How can he if uh, you're too busy handling things yourself? You see, God loves us so much. He gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. And then he raised him from the dead to prove that he was his son and to show us that we too could have eternal life. If he's willing to do all that without any help from us, why should he want to see us carry out other burdens? I don't know. Well, he doesn't want us to carry them. And the good news is, we don't have to. He's more than capable of managing our lives if we just let him. But we need to acknowledge that we need him and then learn to trust him, to believe in him. Let him take control. Invite him to be the Lord of your life. So is that what John did? Mm. Is that how he got that piece he was talking about? That's how. You want some of that? <sighs> Sounds like too good of a deal. It's always about the deal. <laughs> but, you know, you're right. It is a good deal. Phil, why don't you go on back in the woods and talk to the Lord? Let him take controlling interest in your life. Begin to feel his power at work. Listen to Phil, Lord, just like you listened to John and to me so many times.
God, are you there? Can you hear me? I think I need you, Lord. I'm getting really tired of doing this on my own. tired of being a control freak, God, and telling everybody what to do all the time. Just forgive me, God. Forgive me for being so self-centered and just such a jerk. Forgive me for that, will you? Could you do that? And just change me, Jesus. Okay? I give you controlling interest. Just come and take control of my life. Will you? And give me peace. I just give it to you. a deal. <laughs> we got a deal, Lord. Deal. It's a good deal. Finally came together for Phil. He accepted God's amazing offer. You know, when I watched that, it really truly takes me back to the time when by faith I accepted God's amazing offer. And I have never for one moment ever regretted that. You know, when we study Scripture at Wildwood, we like to talk about Life response as we've looked at it, because this book is designed not only to be read, but to change our thinking and our, our lives. So after we've looked at it, we want to talk about that. And so I want to offer two life responses we can have to what we've looked at today. And the first one is just so clear, and that is when we look at God's amazing offer, the first life response is to accept the offer. Accept the offer. You know, you have to do more than just know about the offer. The offer is only an offer until it is accepted. If you were on a a plane that was in distress, and it was on its way down, and there was a parachute laying there, It's one thing to know that the parachute could save you. But it's not going to save you by you just knowing about it. What you have to do is you have to put the parachute on, and then by faith you step out of the plane. And that's really what accepting God's amazing offer is all about. You can't just know about it. We have to embrace it and step out by faith. 
One thing I know beyond any shadow of a doubt in my mind, and that is that only Jesus can forgive your sins. Only Jesus promises to walk with you through every dark moment of your life. And only Jesus is going to give you the assurance that you have an eternal future that you can count on. And as I said, if you hadn't yet, we're going to give you an opportunity to accept the offer, to accept God's amazing offer. And what I'm going to do is in just a few moments, I'm going to lead us through a prayer. I'm going to read it to you now, and then I'm going to read it through, lead us through it phase by phase and phrase by phrase. But here's what the prayer is. This is an expression of our desire, just like Phil had, to accept the offer. It says, Lord, I've been running my own life, but I resign as of today. I was made by you and I was made for you, but I've been living for me. I'm sorry for that self-rule that you call sin, but I believe your son Jesus Christ paid my penalty when he died on the cross. And right now I'm turning from a life of my way and I'm putting my trust, all of my trust in Jesus Christ to erase my sin from your book, to give me a relationship with you, to get me to heaven. Lord, from today on, I'm yours. And if you're a Phil, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to God as an expression of what you really think deep on the inside. Let's all pray together, and you can pray this prayer. You can do it quietly. You can do it silently. God hears all of these things, and God knows your heart. But if this is what you want to do, you want to accept God's amazing offer, I want you to pray this prayer. Lord, I've been running my own life. But I resign as of today. I was made by you and I was made for you. But I've been living for me. I'm sorry for that self-rule you call sin. But I believe your son Jesus Christ paid my penalty when he died on the cross. Right now, I am turning from a life of my way. And I am putting all my trust in Jesus Christ. To erase my sin from your book. To give me a relationship with you. And to get me to heaven. Lord, from today on, I'm yours. Amen. Nothing magical about that prayer, but the concepts that are in it are what's important. And if you have just now accepted that offer from him, we, we would like to give you a 
the gift of a book, we give it away quite frequently. We have some of them up here at the end of the stage. It's called, Since Nobody's Perfect, How Good is Good Enough? It just goes over the very things that we've covered today. And we want you to have a copy of that as our gift to you. And if today you have just accepted his amazing offer, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to have you come and just tell me that or share it with somebody that you know, maybe somebody that you know here who maybe invited you here. But tell somebody that you've done that. So the first life response is that we accept the offer. But many of us have already done that. So here's the second life response. And that is when you look at his amazing offer that we would be humbled in gratitude. How can we walk away from a fresh review of God's amazing offer and knowing we have accepted it and we don't end up being completely humbled in gratitude? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and they're going to lead us in a closing song. But as they're coming, I just want to pray. Father, we would pray that everyone who has never yet accepted your offer, your amazing offer, that they will have done that by faith and just communicating that from their heart to your heart. And Father, for those of us who have What can we be but completely humbled and humbled in gratitude for all that you've done for us? We thank you. We're grateful. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.